Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative in which every story, every character points beyond itself to one who is greater. There is a true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all the comfortable and familiar and go out into the void to create a new people of God. There is a true and better Jacob who wrestled and took the blow of justice we deserve so we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us. There is a true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord and who mediates a new covenant. There is a true and better rock of Moses who struck with the rod of God's justice now gives us water in the desert. There is a true and better David whose victory becomes his people's victory though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it themselves. There is a true and better Esther who didn't just risk losing an earthly palace, but lost the ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just risk his life, but gave his life to save his people. The Bible is not a series of disconnected stories. It is a single narrative that points to one person, Jesus. All right, well, you get me today. Amen, good? All right, so I just need, I just need a, we just need a little bit of an icebreaker here because uh, this is a, just a different context for me. So if you could just all smile and wave at me. Let me know that you, there we go. I like that. All right, so I've got, uh, to start off with, I've got maybe a couple jokes to talk about just to, just to get us going here. All right, the preacher said to his congregation, I want everyone who wants to go to heaven to stand up. And everyone stood up, except for one old man in the front. <laughs> so he said, I want everyone who wants to go to heaven to stand up. And the old man in the front row remained seated. Finally, the preacher said, Brother Williams, I said, I want everyone who wants to go to heaven to stand up. And the old man said, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were getting a group together to go now. Yeah, we got time for a couple more here. <laughs> I won't go as long as Chip today, so don't worry. All right, a new pastor just arrived in town and uh, was only there in his third week of serving at the church when he received a call from the funeral director asking him if he could hold a graveside service at a small cemetery. Because the deceased had no friends or, or family that the funeral director knew of, it would just be the pastor and the funeral director. And because of, uh, because of another funeral scheduled for the same day, the funeral director told the pastor that they would just have to meet at the graveside. He shared the driving direction, directions, and the pastor got started at the cemetery early enough, which was a ways out of town. The pastor got lost along the way, and he, he stopped for directions and got straightened out and, and, and arrived at the burial site. Uh, but he was, he was 30 minutes late, and obviously this was the day before cell phones uh, and the funeral director and the hearse were already gone. And uh, he saw the grave digger sitting under the tree eating lunch, and he spotted the newly dug grave and made his way over. And he saw the, the vault uh, that was in place, and so yeah, he, he opened the book of worship and began offering prayers and scripture readings, and he briefly preached out of the love of God. And after about 15 minutes, he finished up, and uh, he, with a silent prayer, he turned and he made his way back to the car, and 
waving at the workers under the tree, and they waved back. And then he heard one of them say, man, I've been digging septic tanks for over 30 years. This was the first time I ever saw one prayed and preached for. <laughs> so, just a, little, uh, just a little humor to get us going this morning. So this, this, uh, this summer we're focusing on uh, portraits and profiles, and the idea is to focus in on, on people in scripture and just get, get, get an idea of, so, so God reveals himself through people in scripture. So as we, as we understand the story of Abraham and, and Jacob or Israel or Joseph, we're actually seeing the nature of God through that. Uh, Romans, Romans 15, four says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they uh, provide, we might have hope. So, so these stories bring, bring hope to us. And uh, I wanna remind you too, uh, all of your notes are in the Bible app. And so if you can turn there and follow along and you can, you can save that for another time and review it. Uh, so week one, we talked about Abraham. And Abraham is uh, a friend of God that uh, God, he was made righteous in God's eyes because of his faith, right? And, um, you know, Ephesians 2, 8 remind us, uh, reminds us of the power of faith. It is for grace that we have been saved through faith and not by works. And, and that's, that's the story of Abraham is he believed that God would do what he said he would do and um, and believed in the power of faith. And even throughout the rest of scripture, even in our text today, we see that Abraham is referred to as a uh, friend of God or God's friend forever. And uh, week two, we talked about Jacob, uh, which, which uh, his name was later uh, turned into Israel. And um, just the, we were just reminded that, that God is faithful even when we are faithless. Uh, he was uh, Jacob was deceptive, but God humbled Jacob, and by changing his name, he, he, uh, he, he changed his identity, and his identity then was in Christ. And so, uh, so, we, so we, we learned about Jacob, and from then on, actually, God most refers to himself in Scripture as the God of Jacob or the God of Israel, and, um, and that's, just a, that's just, again, revealing the nature of God. He's the God of second chances. Finally, last week, we, we learned about Joseph. And um, what we were reminded of in Joseph's story, again, if you remember, he's, he, he gets sold off into slavery, and he is, uh, he's in prison, he's wrongly accused, and uh, really what God reminds us through this is that perseverance um, in the midst of, of, of unjust setbacks and so God, God refined Joseph's, Joseph, Joseph's heart, his character, through the trials that he was facing. And so uh, this week, we are going to look at a story in 2 Chronicles 20. And um, Chip laughed when I asked if I could preach on this, but it's one of my favorite stories in scripture. Again, Stories in Scripture reveal the nature of God, and I think this profoundly reveals God's God's nature. Um, it has a slight bent towards worship, uh, a hard bent towards worship. So maybe that's why uh, it speaks it speaks to me. Amen. Amen that's right, and uh, it's something we're going to be doing for all of eternity. So we better get used to it. Um, so, so King Jehoshaphat is so. It's Second Chronicles twenty is where we're at. 
and we hear a story about uh, King. So, uh, Kaylin, throw up the map for me there. I think we have a map. Okay, so after uh, King David, his son, King Solomon, so David, <clears throat> man after God's own heart, Solomon, who is uh, known to be the wisest man to ever live, okay? So after, unfortunately, he didn't, he didn't end, end his life well, and so what happens is there's a kingdom split, and so the tribes of Israel kind of split out, and they, uh, so then we have two kings, okay? And so the, the northern kingdom is the kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom is the kingdom of Judah, okay? So if we look ahead in, uh, at the beginning of, uh, of Matthew in Matthew 1, it talks about the lineage of Christ, and um, it's, it's kind of boring to read because it's just a lot of names that are really hard to, and you just kind of stumble through it. But this is where it can gain significance is that you know, God promises David this, this eternal, this, this king that will have eternal reign through his lineage, okay? And so King Jehoshaphat is, uh, is actually part of that lineage. In Matthew 1, 8, we see his name in there. And so, uh, so he's who we're kind of focusing on today, and he is in the kingdom of Judah. So, that's, so when that split happened, um, that lineage that would lead to Christ it, uh, is kind of seen through the, the kingdom of Judah. That, um, and unfortunately, out of the 19 or so kings that each of them have after the split, it's, it, the scripture uh, tells us that only eight of them were, were right in the eyes of God. And those eight were actually in the kingdom of Judah. Um, so that's, quick math tells me that's uh, not very much. Less than half. <laughs> and so, uh, but we see uh, King Jehoshaphat is one of those kings that is, that is right in the eyes of God. And um, so, so let's open up. And the, the point of this uh, this text is uh, just the, uh, the, in the midst of warfare, uh, God, God provides, okay? And we have, we have warfare in our own life. There's this, there's this unseen realm that influences things. And scripture talks, 2 Corinthians 10, Paul talks about, talks about the, the unseen um, spiritual world that really influences the thoughts and then the actions of people. Uh, whether they be uh, um, just and righteous thoughts or whether they're evil. Um, and so, so let's dig in. 2 Corinthians 20, verse 1 here. So fasten your seatbelts because this is going to be 30 verses, but it's a fun story to read. Now it came about after that that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together with some of the, the Mayunites, uh, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and, and reported Jehoshaphat, saying, a great multitude is coming against you from behind the sea out of Aram. And behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. So, they're, so if we go back to the map, it, they're coming up, uh, up, this, up this passageway. Uh, Jehoshaphat was afraid and, and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They, uh, they even came from all cities of Judah to seek the Lord. So here, right away, we're, we see this problem that the kingdom of Judah is under attack 
and King Jehoshaphat knows that he's outmatched. He knows that he needs to set his sights on the Lord. So a quick assessment of the situation, and right away we see one of these kings that was, he was good in the eyes of God, sets his sights on God and nothing else. <clears throat> Verse five, then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in, uh, in the front of the new courtyard and said, Lord, the God of your ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people Israel and gave it, uh, gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? Again, we see, see that. Uh, they have lived in, the, in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. So we see this, uh, this mountain of an army coming and Jehoshaphat reminds God of who he is not because God forgot, but because we need to remind ourselves. It's like Psalm 103 talks about, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's reminding our soul who to bless, who to praise. And so that's what he's doing right here. He's reminding the people, he's reminding himself of who his God is and that his God can do, uh, he, just, he just works in a different way. And so they, they humble themselves. They turn towards God, they set their sights on God and they humble themselves before him. Verse 10, now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they're rewarding us by coming to drive us out of, of your, of, uh, from your possessions, which you have given us in this inheritance. So they're saying, hey, we could have destroyed these people a long time ago, but you told us not to, and now look, they're coming back for us. <clears throat> so, our God, will you, not, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And that's, that, I have that underlined and, and highlighted in, in, in my Bible. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Again, their eyes are fixed on him. They're not sure what's gonna happen, but they're confident because of, of, of how God has revealed himself through scripture that he will protect them and that he will save them. And so, um, the, and, and they also know that if God doesn't show up, they're gonna die. So, I mean, that's, he is, they, they are focused on him and, and, and they had actually confidence that God will come through, right? It wasn't this unsure, God, are you gonna show up or whatever? It's, no, God, this is what you told us you would do for your people and now we're reminding ourselves that of what you've promised to us. So they, it was almost like this, this uh, prayer of humility, but this confident prayer as well. <clears throat> so verse 13, all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, and the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, and that's kind of, so these are, the, these are the, the, the prophets, the Levites, okay? And so this, this prophet um, 
comes and says, well, I've, I've heard from the Lord. And uh, one of the things I kind of highlighted here was that uh, it happens in the, in the midst of the assembly and this, this gathering of people, okay? So they're all together. He wasn't holed up in some prayer closet somewhere, but they were corporately together try, crying out for God. And God uses another person to speak to Jehoshaphat. So God didn't speak directly to him, but he spoke through this other vessel. And this is showing us a glimpse of the power of the body, right? Sometimes we're going through things, we're going through things, but we're not on our own. Um, we come into worship and maybe someone might give us an encouraging word or they can advocate for us in, in prayer and in petition and these kind of things. And just, it just shows the, the power of um, assembly. And maybe, and I don't know, maybe, well, I'm not gonna say that. So let's keep reading. So in the midst of the assembly, Jehaziel brings us word to Jehoshaphat. And he said, listen all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you. Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, this passageway, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear, be dismayed. Tomorrow go out and face them, for the Lord is with you. So right here, he gives them, he gives them instruction, and then he gives them the strength to do that. He gives, uh, and he, but, but what, I, what I see here is that their faith assured their deliverance because I'm pretty confident that if, 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 if Jehoshaphat tried to do this on his own strength and the strength of whatever army and he said, we're just gonna go for this, um, I, don't wanna, I don't wanna speculate, but I don't feel like the outcome would be the same. But the Lord is with you. See the salvation of the Lord. You need not fight this battle but see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. So Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The Levites from the sons, uh, some people stood up to praise the Lord, God of Israel, with a very loud voice. They rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa, and when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, O, Jerusalem and, or, o Judah and, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God. So again, these are last, last minute battle instructions, right? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna put our trust in God and see him deliver us from this. Put your trust in the Lord your God and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire. I think skinny jeans are holy attire, right? <laughs> so basically he sends, he sends the worship team out in the front line 
and he says, hey, you're the front line, okay? And, and what we're gonna have you say is, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. And so that is, that is God's, God's plan that he spoke through the prophet, and, and these are kind of the last minute kind of battle plans. I can't imagine if there were some unbelievers in that army what they were thinking, but their world's gonna get rocked when they see God come through. <clears throat> Okay, verse 22. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, uh, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them. So you have all these different armies, and what they do is they begin to destroy one another. Uh, So jump down to verse 24. It says, when Judah came, to the lookout of the wilderness. They looked towards the multitude, and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground everywhere, and no one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among them, including goods, garments, and valuable things, which they took for themselves, more than they could carry. And they were there three days taking the spoil because it was so much. So they, put their, so they put their trust in, in God. He demolishes the enemy. And then they get this, this kind of side blessing of all this plunder and goods and whatever that it takes them three days to collect because, because, of what, because of they, they put their trust in God. He provided for them. Verse 26, Then on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for there they bless the Lord. Therefore they, they have named this place the Valley of Barak until today. Every man of Judah and Jerusalem return with Jehoshaphat uh, at their head. So God, God delivered them and every single person who went out came back. Amen. Then they came to Jerusalem uh, with harps, lyres, and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the dread of God was on all the, kingdom of the kingdoms of the land when they heard about uh, that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God gave him rest on all sides. So not only did he deliver them from this, but it scared everybody else away. He's like, I'm not messing with them because they're God, they'll, he'll destroy us. But they carried out God's commands in faith and in worship, and they watched God fight their battles on their behalf. And I just want to remind you, like, there's, there is, there's a battle for your soul going on. I, I had kind of referenced 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 earlier. It said, the weapons of our warfare are not against flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortress. We are, dest- we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing rising up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of God. So it's not, it's not in the seen, but it's in the unseen. There's this, there's this battle going on. Ephesians 6, of course, talks about the armor of God and, and, uh, and dressing yourself in the, in the armor of God and, uh, and equipping yourselves for battle. And 
he, you know, he uses all these analogies, but it's, it's, it's spiritual. It's the, the breastplate, the helmet, all these things are uh, physical, but it, it's, it's spiritual, what, it's, what, it, what it represents, the breastplate of righteousness. And, um, and the, the sword of the spirit, which is the, which is the word of God, right? And something I wanna just, there's, there's four things I wanna remind you of today or talk to you about today. First off, true worship is warfare. Um, warfare is a byproduct of, of worship because warfare is conflict, right? And so you have this enemy that is trying to destroy, that's trying to, to, to eat away at every good thing that God's doing in your life. And that conflict is warfare. So when we worship, when we sing, and sing those words or proclaim those words, um, we're going to battle. Amen. We're, we're going to battle. And uh, because, because Satan's one objective is to break down what the kingdom of God and his people are building up. And that's why, that's why so often I feel like, um, not that this is a, don't hear what I'm not saying, but so often when we, when we begin to devote and work on those spiritual disciplines in our lives and, and focus in on God and press in on him and, and discipline ourselves to the reading of, of scripture and, and praying and, and contending for him, um, so often we see things come up that try to stumble us, that uh, maybe something comes up where it, uh, yeah, this thing came up and now I don't, you know, I'm tempted to not uh, read my Bible today because I've gotta do this. And because Satan's job is to destroy what's going on. And that's not saying that if you're, you're a devout believer and, and you know, you're, you're pursuing God and, and your life is good, that's, that's, that's not saying you're doing something wrong. Praise God, that's, that's awesome. But uh, so often when we're trying to get back on the right track and, and refocus our, our, ourselves on him, the enemy tries to trip us up. Scripture tells us that. I've seen it in my own life. Um, and so what we need to do is we need to be aware. We need to be alert and we need to be aware. Uh, so many are, are unfortunately unaware of this, this battle that's going on. <clears throat> the good news is we're not alone in this, in this battle, right? You see, you see Jehoshaphat, you see the story here. God fought for him. So we, we turn our, 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 our affections, our thoughts towards God, and he, he delivers us from these things, but we need to do that. Second, true worship is powerful. And Revelation 4 reminds us of that, of the saints and the elders around the, around the throne um, worshiping God. And, uh, and we inter- intercede and advocate for, for others in worship, Right? because we believe that it's powerful. We believe that something can come up, come, come of it. Uh, Warren Wearsby, one of the, uh, th- this man has written a great deal on, on worship, but he, he writes, our spiritual worship of God hinders Satan's work, defeats his plans, robs him of territory, and increases his hatred of God and his people. And that's, that's the reality. Because this is warfare, because it is so powerful, um, Satan tries to hinder anything that God's, that God's doing and it requires us to be alert. 
Uh, Third, true worship is transformative. We We can know things, but we have to know them, right? And... Um, it's one thing to say it, it's another thing to live it and to truly believe it. I love uh, Romans, Romans 12 talks about, about this transforming relationship, right? Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act or service of worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And so, when we, when we worship, when we work on these spiritual disciplines, when we devote ourselves to him, we become like him. We become transformed, right? It's no longer Jacob, it's Israel because he's made us this new creation, not of the world, in the world, but not of the world, of himself. Um, I'm sure you hear, who've heard kind of the things you are what you eat, or you show me your friends, and I'll show you your future, that kind of thing. Um, there's tons of stumbling blocks in our life. Two personally for me, as I was writing this, I was, I was, totally just convicted and reminded of, of my need to stay focused on God and um, I am I love listening to talk radio and I love following politics and I love following sports and these things can absolutely own my life I can become so absorbed in them that this thing just becomes a mind thing. Just, yep, just gotta do it. I wanna make sure that I'm reading scripture. It's not something I meditate on. You know what the things I meditate on are? Politics and sports, because it's the last thing that I, that I look at at night, and it's the first thing I think about to look at in the morning. And, I've, and praise God, I'm, I'm not there right now, but it's always a temptation for me. And, and every, we all have those, right? Maybe it's social media, maybe it, whatever it is. I don't know, you know what it is in your own life. Um, we have so many things that are, that are fighting for our attention, especially in our society now with the internet and everything, that if, if we are not allowing God to transform this and we're not meditating on his word and thinking about, about his word and what's going on, um, man, it's, it's hard. It's hard to have that, that awareness of what's going on in that spiritual realm because guess what? The enemy's happy with that. If you're not thinking about God, that's good. And the problem is these things aren't bad, right? Sports aren't bad. They're, they're good. They're not, but there's nothing wrong with them. But when they become an idol greater than God, and I focus on that, I spend more time with that than I do. Satan loves that. I know that. We, we need to be constantly thinking about the things of God. Deuteronomy uh, 6, 9, I'm gonna, I was just reminded of this this week. He talks about, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our, is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Right? We've all heard that. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons. You shall talk about them as you sit in your house. When you walk, when you lie down and when you rise up. 
This word should be constantly on our minds and on our hearts. Nothing else. And what this is saying, you should, okay, so then you should bind in a sign on your hand. And if, so what, what he's saying right here is, is you shouldn't have an idle mind. Because when you have an idle mind, then what your surroundings kind of dictate what you think and, and what you believe. But be disciplined, focus on the things of God, know there's a battle going on, and focus on the, on the plan, right? And, the th- and then the fourth thing this morning is that true worship is authentic. If not, why do we do it? Um, it's not this meaningless task. It's, uh, it's not the warm-up act for, for the sermon or whatever. It's not a buffer time to, to roll in or whatever it is, but we have to, it's, it's, it's authentic, it's powerful, and we have to believe that it truly transforms, whether it's, uh, whether it's in our own lives or whether we're advocating for somebody else. The words, even, we do a lot of songs around here and new songs and whatever. The, the, the theme is, though, that uh, these words are truth. So even if you don't know the song, focus on the words. Love has a name, it's Jesus. Victory has a name, it's Jesus. Uh, joy has a name, it's Jesus. Our, vict- our, our hope is in Jesus. Remind yourself, remind your soul that, right? So true, worth it, true worship is authentic. It takes time, it takes discipline, um, but it's so worth it because it's transforming. Sarah, you can come on up. And uh, I just wanted to remind you of those things today. Um, there is real, there's real answer to prayer and victory in the things that we, that we plead for. And so I just wanted to just end this morning with just maybe some introspection of where are you at on this spectrum of uh, meditating on the things of God, reminding yourselves daily, and I'll even say even hourly or, or uh, praying continually, right? Constantly just whatever's going on in the foreground, he's always in the background. And you're always thinking, what God, what are you doing in this situation? Whether it's, what, what do I need to say? What do I need to, what do I need to do? There's this, there's this spiritual realm beyond the physical. You know, maybe it's someone you work with. I, I have a tendency to be task-oriented around here. If there's something I need to do, I'll just go for it. Um, but by the grace of God, he reminds me to slow down. Look into people's eyes. What's going on in their heart? Don't use them as a means, but what, is, what, what am I trying to do in this moment? What rhythms do you need to change? What is it that's robbing you of, your, of time spent with the Lord?
Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those things. He's with us. He's for us. He gives us strength and peace and comfort, hope and joy. Ask him to guide you. Ask him to lead you. Ask him for deliverance of the battles in your life. Remind him of who he is and what he's done. It's a lifestyle, right? So God, as, as your people, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We rest in the knowledge and the hope of your deliverance that you will that you will be faithful to do what you've promised us, God. Draw us closer to yourself. Guard us against any obstacles in our way. The millions of distractions in our lives, God, help us to focus in on you. It's not that we can't do those or they're bad or whatever, but we wanna do them with you. And maybe those things that, that we're doing, maybe, maybe, maybe all you want to do is t- to use us to reshape that, that conversation and that, um, to reshape that moment. That it's not just a superficial um, thing, but that, God, you're constantly working in our lives, even when we're unaware of it. Give us awareness, God. us to trust in you more fully. You are a convicting God, but you're not a condemning God. You've delivered us from condemnation, but you will convict us of things we need to change because you do it in love and you do it in mercy. So here we are with open arms, God, to receive. We're willing vessels, and our trust is in you. May our faith be authentic and transformative and powerful, because we worship a mighty God who is greater than all things and anything the enemy can throw at us. confident in you today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You stand as we end this morning. Sing. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I
God, this is our prayer today. We remind you of what you've done. The battle has already, has already been fought. You're victorious. We're on the winning team. But there's still an enemy against us that wants to trip us up, that seeks to seek and destroy and kill. Guard us against that this week, we pray, and every week. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great Sunday. The Lord be with you.